This episode of The Happiness Question is brought to you by Jay Schiffman. Jay Schiffman is a public speaker, coach, and host of the Choose Your Struggle podcast. He interviews people with lived experiences on the topics of mental health, substance misuse, and recovery, and drug use and policy to help end stigma and normalize difficult conversations through empathy and vulnerability. Each year, over 125,000 Americans die from overdose and suicide combined. I'm not even talking about the other causes of death related to substance misuse and mental health. Just those two. Those are our friends, our neighbors, our family members. They go to our churches, eat next to us at our favorite restaurants. They talk to us through our favorite podcasts. And these deaths are completely preventable. There are massive system changes that need to happen. But until we can have an honest conversation about these topics, these lives will continue to be lost. That's why Jay produces the Choose Your Struggle podcast. That's why he tells his story. As a guy in long-term recovery who survived two suicide attempts and an overdose, he recognizes his privilege. He's been given a second chance in a country and a world where most people don't even get their first. For him not to use it for something truly meaningful would be a waste of his second chance. That's why he gives up every day to work to end the stigma and ensure that those who need help get the help they deserve, because we're in this together. Check out his podcast, Choose Your Struggle, by listening wherever you find podcasts. Today's episode is sponsored by Anchor. It's the great podcast creator and distributor that helps make the happiness question possible. They make it easy to distribute your podcast onto more than 10 platforms, including Spotify, Apple, and Google Podcasts, all without you lifting a finger. Even better, everything they offer is free. You can even get sponsorships for your podcast with no minimum listenership required, like I've got. If you're looking to start a podcast of your own, there's no better place than Anchor. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started today. Please note, this episode deals with addiction, trauma, and drug use, and most helpfully, how to overcome it. Also, although it seems like he's talking about COVID-19, he's talking about the opiate epidemic, as this episode was originally recorded on September 2nd, 2019. We know that addiction is a hard topic, but is an important one for our families to understand, so please consider sharing this episode with your children and talk to them about the importance of staying away from drugs. Hello and welcome to The Happiness Question. Today I have with me Andrew Mann, who has successfully overcome opiate addiction and has been cleaned for three years. How are you, Andrew? I'm doing well. I'm from New Jersey. I grew up in southern New Jersey, right outside of Philadelphia, in a town called Morristown, uh, New Jersey. I, um, at a very young age, suffered from depression and anxiety. I grew up in uh, what you'd say abusive household. And, you know, on the outside, everything looked peachy keen. We looked like the all-American family. My family had money. And so a lot of things that I, I think would have been noticed and things were let go. And so, you know, I went through childhood where it was just, it was awful for me. When I was real young, I went through horrible bullying in school. Eventually, I, I became friends with the popular kids, but I, I ended up still suffering from this anxiety and depression, which led me to do anything to fit in with them when I was very young. I started um, 
smoking cigarettes was the first thing and then drinking alcohol um, and then smoking weed. And I liked anything that would sort of change the way I felt inside. And so I, I hung out with the kids that were doing that type of thing. And uh, my anxiety got so bad by the time I was 14, I actually took myself to the hospital believing I was having a heart attack and dying. And I ended up going to see a, a psychiatrist who put me on a, a drug called clonopin. What, what I didn't know was that clonopin is, is very similar to something called Xanax, which is a very addictive drug. And what the doctor just did was he said, here's this drug, you take this, this will make your anxiety go away. But it, we never discussed what was causing the anxiety or what do I do, to, do I have to take this drug forever? Basically it was how he just said, here's this prescription, you take it every day when you have anxiety and which was every day for me. So I started taking that every day. And what later, what I realized was a drug like that, at the most I should have been on for about three days at the very most. It's only to be used in really an emergency situation. And then there should have been other ways that we looked at that. So they kept me on this drug. And by the time I was, you know, literally 14, I was addicted to clonopin and taking about four times the adult dose, adult normal uh, dose for an adult. That didn't, after, it would help the anxiety in a, a short amount of time, but eventually the anxiety would come back. And so then I started drinking at night. So I would take clonopin during the day and then drink at night to get this anxiety to go away. And it was just a spiral that led through all my, my high school years. Um, I was basically under the influence of something all through high school. And that led to the point, I, I really don't know how I graduated high school. By the time I graduated high school, I had taken myself to the emergency room, I think it was about 30 times, believing I was dying of a heart attack. And, you know, when it came to my family, you know, they sent me to a couple psychiatrists and they didn't like what the psychiatrist had to say. So, you know, they liked the one psychiatrist that just gave me drugs and, and that was, that was their answer. And um, then later on, when I became a drug addict, they were like, how could you become a drug addict? But what I didn't, when I graduated from high school, we went, actually went to see a psychiatrist, a woman about whether I was fit to go to college because I had, right after I got my driver's license, I ended up being charged with DUI. I got in a car accident drunk on a Sunday morning, which should have been a huge red flag for a 17 year old. But I went to see the psychiatrist and the psychiatrist told my parents, she said, you know, I don't know why you're thinking about college. This kid really needs help. He needs to be in a hospital somewhere getting help. And he does not need to be going to college. And my parents said, lady, you're crazy. That's not what we wanted to hear. And the lady basically said, well, then why did you come to me if you didn't want my honest opinion? And so off to college I went, which even became a worse nightmare. And I failed out of college and I actually made it there two years, but it was the same thing. I started, I took more clonopin. I was drinking every day at this point um, in college. So I, between clonopin, drinking, I also experimented with cocaine. It was anything to get feeling different from the way I was feeling. And after I fell, fell out of college, I basically, I came home and was introduced to opiate painkillers. This is when doctors started really prescribing them, not so much for pain, really for profit. And so there were a lot of people doing 
painkillers around him. And when I found these opiate painkillers, they were the answer to all my problems at first. I took these painkillers and it took away all my, all my depression, all my anxiety, and I felt like a normal person. And so it was like the, an answer, it was like God had sent me a miracle. And it ended up being a miracle in disguise. It ended up making things 10 times worse in the long run. What I didn't realize was that these little painkillers, even though they were coming from a doctor, they were as addictive as heroin. And I ended up being, becoming so physically addicted to these painkillers that it just destroyed my life. And um, in my book, I go into the depths. I ended up becoming homeless on the streets of Camden, New Jersey. Um, I ended up going from painkillers to heroin, which you know, left. It was just an awful situation. And my life had got to the point where everyone had given up on me. My own family, everyone had given up. And one person refused to give up on me. And, you know, she was really the reason that I got into rehab. While I was there, she sent me, she wrote me a letter a day telling me that I could do this and that I was loved and that I could beat this. And I was able to, through her and through some, some hard work, ended up getting uh, clean from my addiction. And I mean, there's, there's a lot that went into the points, but I'm just trying to sum it up for you. And when I, when I got clean from my addiction, I, I saw so many friends around me that had died and their parents would say, how are you able to get clean? And they weren't, and they wanted answers. They wanted to know why they use drugs. And I had written down a few paragraphs when I was in rehab and a few of the counselors saw it and they said, your writing's amazing. Like you could really help people if you wrote a book. And so once I got some time clean, I decided to sit down and write a book. And that's, that's why I'm sitting here today. I wrote, I named it Such Unfortunates and it's my story of how I became an addict, how I was able to overcome that, what I believe we need to do differently as a country to help people with addiction. There's so many of our citizens dying and there's more people dying of opiate addiction every year in the United States than have died in the Vietnam War. And it is, it is an awful thing that is highly misunderstood. And that's the goal of my book, like I said, was to make people understand that they too, if an addict like, like me can get clean, they can do it. And it also, a lot of people have written to me and they're like, I read your book and now I finally have hope for my loved one or for myself that I can beat this. And other people have said, you know, the honesty in your book has motivated me to talk about the things, the trauma I went through in childhood, which I really believe is the gateway drug that everyone is looking for. People always say, you know, was some drug dealer came up to you on a train and said, try this, it'll make you feel good. I, I know they have that on TV and that's what it looks like in the movies, but that's not the way it happens. The real gateway drug is not marijuana, it's not alcohol. The real gateway drug in addiction is trauma. Trauma in childhood is what leads everyone um, to, that I met that was a heroin addict, had a traumatic childhood. A lot of them were not loved. And um, in my book, it goes into that. 
how trauma leads to that. And that's something, another important point, because I also believe that's a big point in solving this crisis. We're really in a crisis at this point. I mean, could you imagine if 70,000 people a year drowned of something, there would be people on the beaches trying to stop that. It would be a huge thing. And uh, that's, we really need to get serious about this because a lot of um, people are dying and it's just getting worse out there. I think the most important aspect of my book really that, that I'd, I'd like to get, get out there is just that I believe that it can help people with not only opiate addiction, I believe it can help people with any addiction. There's also people that are addicted to alcohol. You know, a lot of things like there are a lot of different addictions that um, people have that I believe are based around trauma. Opiates is the, the main thing that affected my life, but I've had a guy tell me he had gone through abuse in childhood and he said, you know, I can finally talk about that now after reading, my, reading your book. So, you know, that is basically the most important message I wanted to get to people that if they can find help in my book, with anything in their life, whether it's opiate addiction, all addiction kind of crosses, it's, it's not just one thing, it's not just for opiates. So if there's another message, I think this can help people with any addiction out there that is affecting their lives negatively as well. So how were you able to overcome your addiction? The first thing with opiates, they, you, you have a physical addiction. If you know someone that is addicted to opiates, they need to get into a medical detox because even if they want to stop, they're not going to be able to stop without their body going into horrible withdrawals. The longer they've used and the more they've used, the worse the withdrawals get. And so, you know, there can be, and especially if they're mixing them a lot of a lot of the opiates these days are cut with benzodiazepines like Xanax, and they mix that in heroin and cold turkey withdrawal from that, you can have a seizure and die. So the first thing people really need to do is find a detox or under a doctor's supervision and get the drugs out of their system. But the important thing is that's not the last step they need to take. After they get the drugs out of their system physically, they need the mental part also, which is why I recommend after a detox to go to a rehab for at least 30 days. If you can go to six months or longer, that's even better because your brain, right after coming off the drugs, you may be physically, medically stable, but your brain is still, all it is is thinking about the drugs. So as much time as they can be in a supportive environment would be the best advice I could give someone. And then it's not even, that isn't the final solution there. After they get out of the supportive environment, they need to either get involved with AA or NA or another type of group, whether it's church or something else with people like them. Because one thing that's very important that I've seen addicts or people that have suffered trauma is being able to talk to other people that have gone through similar things. It helps people so much. When they see a person that's gone through something they've gone through, they're able to, it's, it's like this magical connection the person has that can help each other. 
you know, and no one will help another person like an addict will help another addict because they know the pain. They know what that person's been through, the hell. There's nothing in my life that's been even close to as hard, anything as hard as this was to overcome. And so that's another important aspect. So once you've gone through, you know, the last phase to this that has really helped me is getting involved with helping other people is so important because once you've gotten clean and you've got gone through this war and made it to the other side, when you help other people, it's, it does two things. It helps that person, but it also helps you because it lets you see, reminds you of where you came from, the things you've gone through, and it also lets you see, you know, how bad it is out there and that you don't want to go back to that. And you feel good about yourself for helping someone. So I really believe that that is a, an important step to people. I try to go to rehabs or jails or, or detoxes and speak to the people there and say, listen, I've been where you are. I know it's tough right now, but you can get through this. Because when I was in there, people did that. And it really meant a lot to me. So it was, uh, that's what I'd recommend in that respect. How long did this process take for you? This was a very long process. I, I probably went through 15 years of trying to get clean. Like I said, it got so bad that I, I lost everything in life. You know, I had had substantial things in my life and I lost everything to the point, like I said, I was homeless and everyone gave up on me except one person because really when you, these drugs are so addictive that even though you want to stay clean, there's a line in my book that I said for someone to understand the, the, the pull of drugs, try starving yourself for three days and then put a collection of your favorite foods right in front of you, but you can't eat them 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days a year. And that's what it feels like to not want to do drugs. So you take that in front of a person and it's just such a huge mountain to climb to not take that step that um, it took, you know, there were times I would get uh, a week clean or a month clean or maybe two months and then I would always go back and it was just I ne I had to they say you kind of have to hit rock bottom to go up now do I believe that I, I think there's people that don't need to lose everything and, and have their life completely destroyed but uh, for a lot of people it takes it takes time and I would recommend that you you don't give up on your family member. I mean, the solution isn't just to throw money at them. But if your family member is willing to get help, stick by them, show them love, be there for them. If they're not willing to get help, you know, then you can do the tough love thing. But, you know, I've seen people recommend just throw your family member out to the street if you find out they use drugs. And that's, that's a good way to get someone to die because I've seen that happen and the family thought that was the right thing to do 
and then there, it, it really is you're just if they're willing to get help you should stand by them if they're not willing to get help i understand that you can cut them off you don't just throw money at them and hope they'll get better because they're not going to but if your family member is willing they need some support they need you to be there tell them you love them you want them to get better and as long as they are trying to get help you will be behind them that is a, that is the really the right way to go about that how long has it been since it stopped a little bit over 2 years now so it's been uh it's been a, a great you know i'll be coming up on 3 years soon and i've accomplished uh, a lot in that time and it feels great you know since i was I'd say 12 years old, I haven't had, I really haven't had clean time for my brain. So it feels so good to see what I can accomplish because when you're under the influence, you really can't accomplish much in life. It's really hard to accomplish anything. Everything goes towards the drugs and focuses towards that and the problems that come along with it. And it's just, so, yep, it's been a, a great almost three years for me. That's amazing. A person that's born into a loving family that is raised with love and all that when they grow up, you create these receptors in your brain called endorphin. Um, and there's a bunch of, there's a few different chemicals. There's serotonin, dopamine, norepinephrine are three of real important chemicals. Serotonin is it basically does a lot with depression. Dopamine is a feel good chemical. Norepinephrine is more of like, if you're scared, it alerts you, awakes you up type of chemical. Um, and endorphins. Uh, well, when you take, op when you, let's just say a, a child's raised with love and, and a happy family, their brain over from age uh, zero to 18 grows the right way, produces the right amount of endorphins, the right amount of serotonin, dopamine, is when they wake up, they, they feel great for life, they're happy, they're motivated. But when you go through trauma, your brain and doctors, I've looked into this, doesn't produce the right amount of chemicals and the right amount of endorphins. So when you wake up in the morning, it's like struggle to get out of bed. When you're sitting in class, it's, it, you get bored easily. When those chemicals aren't in the right amount, everything in life is 10 times harder. So when, an, when an, someone, this is what makes someone very prone to addiction. When they take that opiate, say you go and you take an Oxycontin, all those chemicals that haven't been at the right levels in your brain are suddenly not only at the right levels, but at a very high level and you feel great. If a person that has normal levels takes an Oxycontin, most of the time they get sick to their stomach. It's too much. It just doesn't feel good to them. But a person that ha is deficient in those chemicals, they take that and it's like, oh my God, now I feel like everyone else does. My high on those drugs was like other people's normal in life when they felt good. When I took Oxycontin, I, I, I got straight A's in class. And before that, I couldn't pay attention or do anything. I could do well in tests, but life was boring to me. So when i would at first it was the greatest thing being on those i could i slept right i, I had always smoked cigarettes and drank a lot 
But when I started taking the Oxycontin, I quit that right away. There wasn't any need for it. All those, everything in my brain felt great. And it just, it, it, so at first when you're going through this addiction and you take these things, you love life and you don't feel like you're doing anything wrong because you're taking a pill, you're putting it in your own body. It's coming from a doctor. You know, why would you think anything would be wrong with that? You know what I mean? Like the doctor's giving it to me. What, uh, what do you mean? I'm, I'm doing something that's criminal. Are you crazy? I'm taking something a doctor gave me, but you know, and that's why people would say drug addict. And I, I'd be like, these people are nuts. I'm not a drug addict. I take uh, prescription pills. But I was just as addicted as anyone else. And that's when the second part comes into play. The problem with opiates is they build up a tolerance in your body. So you have to take more and more and more to get the same effect. And when you suddenly remove those opiates, because they're extremely expensive. So if you run out of your prescription early, which you will, because you have to keep up in the dose, your body goes into withdrawal. And the withdrawal from opiates I describe in my book is the worst thing you could ever imagine. So now you're at the point where it's not about taking them to get high or get or feel good. You're just taking them to avoid the withdrawal because it is such an awful people compare the withdrawal to the flu, which is a joke. The flu is nothing compared to the withdrawal. I would take the flu. It's the flu times 10,000. Everything in your body hurts. You, I go through a couple of chapters where I describe it and people do such crazy things to avoid the withdrawal. People will burn themselves to get a doctor to write them a prescription just to get out of the withdrawal. They'll break their bones. It's that awful. It really is. And before I became a drug addict, I didn't understand that. What do you mean somebody's going to break their bone to get out of it? But once you feel how bad the withdrawal from opiates can get, it's like the, the paradise that opiates give someone's brain when they take them. It's the exact opposite of it in the withdrawal. It puts you in the worst you could ever imagine. So basically you become a prisoner in your own body and you get to the point where if say you're an honest person and you wouldn't steal, you wake up and you're going through the, you literally feel like you're dying. You're throwing up, you're shaking, you're in a ball and you see $20 in your mom's purse. And someone says, well, I can give you something that's going to make you feel better, but I need that $20. When before you would never in a million years steal something from your mom's purse that withdrawal sickness, you're going to take that $20 bill. I don't care who you are. You feel it and you'll do it. And then you take it, you take the drug and you feel better. And you're like, oh my God, I just took $20. I would never do that. What is wrong with me? I'll never do it again. The next day the withdrawal hits again and you're looking for that $20 again. Hmm. And it's, it's like that. And once you're trapped takes about three days after you become an opiate addict to start getting the physical addiction. And if you've been doing it for a long time, that withdrawal can last for weeks, weeks of that misery. So imagine going, not only having the drug craving, but the, that horrible sickness on top of it. And somebody says, take, you can take one of these pills and all that goes away. And you know, 
So that's what it's like being addicted to these drugs. It's an awful, awful thing. A lot of people who've read my book have said, they were like, I'm so glad I read this because, you know, I, I had a doctor say to me, he's like, I completely look at things differently now after reading your book. He said, you know, I can't, for the past two weeks, I can't stop thinking about it. So I'm really happy I'm able to educate some people and enlighten them. So how do we avoid this addiction in the first place if we keep getting these opiate drugs as prescriptions? Well, here's the problem. The reason these things got prescribed so much was not because of legitimate medical reasons. It was for profit. These big companies decided opiates at the very most, like benzodiazepines, should be prescribed for three days if somebody's in massive pain, okay? After that, there is no need for these drugs. If somebody's in the hospital and they're having some serious surgery, yes, I under, they get burns all over their body, sure, right away, they need it, but there is no reason someone should walk into a doctor's office with back pain and walk out with a three-month prescription for, you know, uh, a 270 Oxycontin, 80 milligrams. And that's what has happened. The pharmaceutical companies gave these doctors a financial incentive to write these drugs. And so the doc, like Purdue Pharma, they're the makers of Oxycontin and Johnson and Johnson, they basically provide all the raw material which makes these opiates. The United States consumes 95% of the world's opiates and we're 3% of the world's population. So what happened is they prescribed enough opiates for every man, woman, and child last year to, in the United States to take 20 pills each. So they are overprescribed just so these companies can make billions of dollars. And they're starting to crack down on it. Johnson & Johnson and Purdue just got a, a huge fine in the billions of dollars. The attorney general of Oklahoma asked for my book because he's suing these companies and wanted to have, you know, some ammunition. And he did. He won the lawsuit because it, it's what they did is no different than the drug kingpin in South America flooding the streets with cocaine and heroin. Actually, it's a little worse because they tricked people into and they made billions of dollars off of it. If you look, a lot of the museums in New York, because these people donated some money to these museums, the Sackler family were the ones who started Oxycontin, and the museums gave the money back, because it's blood money. They, they went to poor neighborhoods in West Virginia, Kentucky, and they got whole towns devastated by opiate addiction. These people that trusted their doctor went in, got a prescription for a drug, a few weeks later, they were physically addicted to something and, you know, which started a nightmare. And they, they ended up robbing pharmacies, stealing money, things they would never do in a million years. And it just has devastated the country. I mean, it's, it's, it's worse than Vietnam every year. It's, it's horrible. And things need to change first. The doctors need to stop overprescribing this. They need to remove the profit incentive. They should never be prescribed for more than three days for any reason, unless someone's dying of cancer 
And those aren't the people that are having these problems. So if someone's dying of cancer, I have no problem. You can prescribe whatever they want. But those are the only people that should be getting these things on a lit unlimited basis. And that is the first step. The second is, is dealing with the trauma. You need to recognize children who've been through trauma before they become addicts. And the third is we can't arrest ourselves out of this problem. It, it just makes, it just doesn't work. It doesn't solve anything. Putting people in jail and spending all this money is not solving anything. We need to look at helping people instead of arresting them. It's just not working. They've arrested people the war on drugs and it just gets worse every year. I mean, everyone agrees that now it just hasn't worked. So we need a new strategy of helping people. I hope one day, believe it or not, to start a, a foundation um, to help addicts with animals. I, I believe animals can provide a soothing, a love. And I was thinking of starting like an animal rescue with a rehab involved in it because I've seen the benefit a person that's addicted can have taking care of an animal and the love from that animal can do for them gives them a new uh, light in life. So that, if I'm able to one day, I'd like to do that. Why aren't enough people talking about this epidemic? That's what I can't, that's what I'm trying to change because they need to be. It's, you know, I had a friend that his whole goal in life was to cure cancer. Since he was three years old, that's all he did. I mean, as a little kid, he had books, he wrote all these things, his whole mission was to cure cancer. And if there was one person, I mean, he would literally stay up when kids were going out to get party and drink with their friends, he was staying at home trying to cure cancer. He was in a bad car accident, got prescribed Oxycontin, he's dead, you know? So we are losing people, you know, who knows? He could have cured cancer by now, you know? And we're losing some really important people and it's just terrible. And more people need to be talking about this. And that's, that's the awareness that I'm trying to get out there. That's why I'm trying to get my book to as many people as possible in as many hands as possible. And I just hope, you know, I can find someone like Oprah or Ellen DeGeneres that could put it on their show and say, read this book, let's start a discussion and change things, you know? What has been able to give you hope? I guess seeing the people that have been helped, um, seeing people that have gotten their lives together has given me hope. I've seen people that have um, turned their whole life around and gone from being a, you know, a complete nightmare to having a productive life and actually giving back. And also um, seeing all the people that have said, you know, your book helped me so much that that gives me more than any drug could ever give me. What does happiness mean to you? There's a, a thing in your stomach that you get. It's an emptiness when you're using drugs and you've been through what I've been through and it doesn't feel like it can ever be filled. But when you have love in your life and you're not with those drugs, that emptiness inside you gets filled. And when I feel that filled, that's happiness to me. Did it mean something to you in the past that was different? Yes. Happiness in the past was fleeting. It was the next minute I could find it was a fake happiness. 
it was a chemical happiness that was brought on that wasn't real. Do you have any plans to make an audiobook of your book? Yes, yes, actually, I, I want to. I just, I, I, no one's really showed me how to do it yet. And I, I saw, a, I don't know if there's a website I could go on or I could read it into a microphone. And if I found out how to do that, I would do that. Absolutely. I think that's a good idea. I'm going to look into that today, how I can do that, how to get it on audio book. And uh, maybe I will do that. That's a good idea. It's a good question. Thank you for that. Like I said, the name is Such Unfortunates. It's on Amazon. It's also Target and Barnes and Noble, but Amazon's the main spot. And I'm the author, Andrew Mann. That's two N's. And really appreciate you giving me a chance to get on here. And, you know, I really hope this can help some people out. Well, it was nice speaking with you. I really appreciate it. I'll look forward to this. I hope you enjoy the book and I will let you know if I get it, when I get it on um, audio. I hope you have a great day. You too, Captain. Nice talking with you. Since the recording of this episode, Andrew Mann's book, Such Unfortunates, is now available on Audible. Start your free 30-day trial of Audible and get a free copy of Such Unfortunates by Andrew Mann by going to audibletrial.com slash the happiness question. Going to this link will help support the show and our author, Andrew Mann. Plus, we'll help give you a really great read, which you get to keep for free even if you cancel. I mean, it's a no-brainer. Get your copy, again, for free by going to audibletrial.com slash the happiness question today. Hi, and thank you for listening to The Happiness Question. We hope you enjoyed our episode with Andrew Mann. If you did, please consider leaving us a review on your favorite podcast website so that more people can find our episode. If you have family or other friends that happen to be struggling with addiction, please help share this episode with them and those family members so that they too can help find happiness through it all. Please remember to check out our website at thehappinessquestion.com. For more information and more episodes, which you can listen to, we hope you have a great day. Bye.